This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Imagine surrounding yourself with incredible women, women who've overcome challenges, they've rebounded after failures and disappointments, and women who are not afraid to shine their brilliance to make a mark in the world. These women support other like-minded women because they know there is plenty of opportunity for everyone and that together we really can make a difference, grow our businesses while have fun along the way. This is what Women in Leadership Podcast is all about. Welcome. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross. Grab a cup of your favorite beverage, pull up a chair and let's get this conversation started. And welcome to another episode of Women in Leadership podcast. I'm drinking my first cup of coffee for the day. So my guest on the show today says you can't and you won't please anyone. The most freeing question you can ask yourself is, whom am I okay disappointing? And joining me on today's show is Karen Eber. Karen, she is an author. She's a leadership consultant. She's also a keynote speaker. And her talk on TED.com, how your brain responds to stories and why they're crucial for leaders, has almost 2 million views. She's the CEO and chief storyteller of Eber Leadership Group. And she helps companies build leaders, teams, and culture one story at a time. She works with Fortune 500 companies like GE and Microsoft. She guest lectures for London School of Business, MIT and Stanford, and she contributes to Fast Company. Karen is a former head of culture and chief learning officer and head of leadership development at GE and Deloitte. And she has her popular TED talk and is publishing The Perfect Story, How to Tell Stories That Inform Influence and Inspires. That's coming out with HarperCollins in October 2023. So not too long away. Now on today's show, Karen is going to share how stories create amazing connection, trust and empathy. She'll talk about why we shouldn't leave our emotions at work or behind at work. They are the heart of decision making. And the most important story you tell yourself or that you tell is the one that you tell yourself. And so much more. Welcome, Karen. Thank you, Anne-Marie. So happy to be with you. We have got so much to cover today, and I know that we're only going to be able to cover the surface of uh, what you are going to share, but I'd love for you to to give us a little bit of a a background into the quote that I opened today's interview with, you can't and won't please anyone. The most freeing question you can ask yourself is, whom am I okay disappointing? What did you mean by that? When people are getting started telling stories, there's vulnerability in it and they feel nervous. Like, what if someone doesn't like my story? And I tell them, there will be people that won't like your story. There are already people that don't like things that you say or do, and that's okay. We don't please everyone. 
and you shouldn't set out to, because if you do, then you are going to be connecting with no one. And so I help them get over this fear by asking themselves, who are you okay disappointing? And when you think of a group that you're talking to, sometimes there's people in the audience that um, if it's at work, maybe are are leaders that are um, maybe on the outside of the bell curve that are taking extra persuasion, but you don't want to do your whole story to the two people on the outside. You want to give your story to the majority. And so when you start to think about who am I really trying to speak to and connect with and who is outside of that and it's okay if they don't get it, it is so freeing because then you're no longer worried about the people that won't like it. You're focusing on the ones that will. Yeah, I love that. I want to dive a little bit deeper into, in a moment, why do you think we have so much angst, if you will, if I use that term around our, our story? It can be frightening and very, as you said, the vulnerability to, to share that. But before we talk about that, I'd love to find out a little bit more about what led you down the path where you are today, being so passionate about helping people to tell their unique story. Like most people, I told stories in life, but it took me a while to realize like you should tell them in work. You should tell them in your professional world. There's no reason why you become a different person and you can't communicate in a dynamic and and vivacious way. And I was in roles in General Electric and uh, Deloitte where I was a head of culture or head of leadership development where I was touching 90,000 employees in 150 countries. And the only way you're going to shape culture and move people forward is to have them think about what things mean for them and think about what they want to do different. And you don't get that by saying, here's a list of values or here are 10 things to consider or anything really formal. You get that through connection. I started using stories and I found that it didn't matter where people were in the war, uh, where they were in the world, their gender, their the generation they were in, they were connecting with this. And it was a way for me to persuade my leaders to make investments and move forward in things or to take those stubborn people and get them to consider something else. And so once I started to see like, this not only helps people learn new things and, and motivates and expands thinking, but it also shifts energy and really awkward moments. Mm-hmm. I thought this is something that I want to do more of, but I also want to help other people learn how to do. Yeah, fantastic. I love that. And it's exciting, isn't it, as you start to um, leverage, if you will, the actual thing that you're encouraging people to do, it's working. So there is no, it cannot be any doubt in their minds that stories can be so powerful. So people would have seen behind you your book, The Perfect Story. I wonder, is it because or is that a reason why we are, we can be hesitant to share our story is because we want it to be perfect and as we know perfection you know is one of those things a whole other topic what are some of the things that you've seen when you've worked with people that stops them from sharing that story that perfect story uh, the the title's a little bit of a play on words because there is no such thing as a perfect story sitting there ready for you to pick it up and tell it the last line of my TED talk is don't wait for the perfect story. Take your stories and make them perfect. And that's what I find if there's this hesitation of telling a story because like, oh, people won't like it, or I don't know if it's any good, or I don't know how to tell it. And 
that is storytelling. You take it and you shape it and you're going to tell that story differently each time to each audience. And so I try to get people to not view it as this big, heavy, scary thing, but as a a different thing to experiment with and play with to try to see how people respond and connect with them. Yeah. Um, You're going to, well, I'd love to see and and hear what your response to this is. A few weeks ago, I posted how someone had shared on social media that they'd gone to an online event to help um, people shape their stories, their message. And one of the participants asked uh, the facilitator, "Um, I don't have an interesting story. What a wonderful opportunity. I know such as yourself, Karen, you would have asked just the right questions, the perfect questions to help someone uncover uh, their their, unique story. But the facilitator said, just make one up. Now, this was a little while ago, but yesterday I was speaking to someone who recently heard in just a matter of weeks, someone else said, a a facilitator, a coach, a trainer said, if your story is too boring, make one up. No. To people, because (laughs) this continues to, I'm horrified myself. What, What do you have to say to that? I view this as good job uh, opportunity for me. Um, Don't make stories up because when you start telling a story that's made up, people will, they sniff that out. They can tell and they lose any trust they have in you. I mean, think about um, maybe a politician or a newscaster or someone who told a story that you question how genuine it is or if it was made up in some way. You don't have trust in what they say. You don't think there's any validity. I feel like the make it up is misguided and it comes down to it's not enough to tell a story. The way you tell one does make a difference in the experience of it. And you can learn the different things that happen in the brain that you can lean into that make your stories more dynamic. So there are always different things you can play with and do to get there. But I'd say if you're stuck trying to think of an idea or it feels boring, dig into it more because the more you dig into details, the more you find people behind products that are that you think are boring or um, specific details around things that there's always a really interesting story to uncover and share. Yes, I love that. Thank you for sharing. Uh, So you're talking about how stories create amazing connection, trust and empathy. Talk a little bit more about that. But before you do, what would you define as story? Is there, just in case there's any misconceptions around that, that people have unfortunately heard from um, unscrupulous, though we say facilitators and trainers, what does story mean to you? And how would you define it? Yeah, I I like to think of it as having three big pieces. So stories have characters. There's usually people or um, personified objects in the story. There are um, conflicts. So a story has to have some tension, some conflict, something that needs to be resolved because this is the fuel of the story. If you don't have that, you don't have a story. And the third is connection, meaning you need to be drawn into the story. There's certain things that we can do to engage your senses and emotions to, to make the story unfold in a way that's unexpected. So your brain is right there paying attention. And so when you have characters, you have conflict and you have connection, you have a story that's taking people from one place to another. I love that. Talk about trust. You've already identified or touched on that if you tell a story that's based on mistruth and you get found out that completely or creates mistrust and you'll need to do a lot of work 
for people to start to trust you again if you ever get the opportunity to rebuild trust. What are some things that you see work really well in stories when it comes to trust and are there things you see commonly used if you will in storytelling that you think we need to stop doing that it no longer works and and it actually can create a barrier um, and lack of connection and trust so let's do it in three parts the first part i'll focus on is like what's happening around trust and then what works and what doesn't work when you are listening to a story or reading a story, you are gaining empathy for the storyteller. So think about anytime you've sat with a friend or someone you just met and you feel this connection, it's because your brain is saying like, this is, this is interesting. I'm feeling something towards this person. Um, that empathy creates this release of oxytocin, which is the bonding chemical that we experience when we feel connection with someone. Uh, you can't manufacture it. You can't will it. It is a true, genuine response. And what it does is it sends a signal to the brain of this person or these people are safe to be around. And that leads to an increase in trust. And so when they've done experiments and someone told a story that I connected with or the people connected with, they found this measurable increase in trust that followed through in different activities. So the very act of telling a story can create this connection, can create this neurochemical change change that has you feeling different about the person. So whenever you feel that chemistry that you have with someone, that's genuine. It's true. And so what works with that is when you are truly being authentic, when you're telling a story, whether it's a story about yourself or it's a story about someone else, it's clear why you were telling it. I love to say stories are storytelling is personal, but personal doesn't mean private. So you don't have to tell a private story and each person decides what's private, but every story is personal in that we want to know why you are telling it. What is your perspective in it? In my TED Talk, I open and close with stories about other people, but it's I'm bringing my perspective into it and you get drawn into that. So what works really well is this feeling of authenticity that I am I'm hearing you tell a story that feels genuine and true. And these neurochemicals are naturally going to shift and take place. When it goes the other way is when I feel like information is being withheld, that you are manufacturing the message in a way, not just because I want you to, to, to be perhaps persuaded to do something, but I feel like almost like it's propaganda that it's being manipulated and withheld in a way that impacts what I'm doing and something doesn't feel right. And I feel like I don't trust you. Brilliant. Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, when you're talking about stories and often we hear business owners tell stories within presentations, TED Talks, um, even stories, you know, as you said, when we, we're speaking with a small group, one-on-one. On, one on one. But you mentioned earlier around how even in corporate leaders can start to use stories. I mean, I think stories can be used by anyone and wherever they are, whatever situation. Would you agree? 100%. The, the question I get so much is like, how many stories are too many stories? And I always laugh and say like, that's not going to be your problem. I find people don't tell enough stories. It's not that they tell too many. Um, I've done keynotes where I've told 20 stories in the keynote to make different points. And no one stood up and said, there were too many stories. They came up and they really engaged with them. It's not 
about you're going to tell too many. It's that you don't tell enough of them in any setting, whether it's with friends or it's talking to a client or it is trying to, um, you know, raise money for a nonprofit or raise awareness. I, I mean, it just spans any industry and approach because it's a way to communicate that is going to be more dynamic than just sharing information. And the brain loves that. It forces yeah. it to spend calories and get engaged. Yeah, fantastic. So one of the things that uh, you also want to talk about, and I'd love to unpack this as well, why we shouldn't leave our emotions behind at work. We hear that so often, don't bring emotions to work. But you say they are at the heart of decision making. Share more. There is a neuroscientist, Antonio Damasio, that did research on patients that had damage to the frontal lobe of their brain fully functioning in every way. They had jobs, relationships, could just move through life the same way that all able-bodied people could. What they were unable to do, though, is experience emotion. So if you put up a photo of a, a fiery car crash, they had no reaction. You know, things that you and I would cringe and look away from, they had a emotionally flat affect. And because of this, they actually couldn't make decisions. Something as simple as, do I want to sort my computer files by date or by size? It would take them all day. Like they couldn't make that decision, something that would take us no time. And what he found is that what is happening when we're making decisions is that we are making them subconsciously. So if you think about a phone, when you take a photo on your phone and you swipe up, you can see the date, the location, the f-stop, the aperture. All of that is like stamped on that photo without you thinking about it. Something similar happens in our brains. So as we're taking in information through our senses, our brain stamps those senses and experiences with emotions and it stores it in our long-term memory. So when we're going to make decisions, our brain actually goes to all of our past experiences. It goes into, I call it like the library of files, and it's trying to see what do we have, what have we experienced that we can call upon to predict what we should do. And it's doing all this at a subconscious level in milliseconds. So what's happening is that we are making decisions based on our emotions, based on how these things have been stamped within our body, you know, stamped in our brain and stored, and we're using that to predict what we should be doing. And we become aware of it at the point that it reaches the conscious level, which is when we apply rationalization. So we love to think we're making these rationally based decisions, but it has happened subconsciously. They yes. put people in MRI machines and they've said, okay, you have to choose between this or this. And they put buttons in either hand. And they said, as soon as you've made your choice, press the button to indicate which, which direction you're choosing. And what happened is they could see the neurons traveling in the direction of the selection they were going to make six seconds before the person ever pushed the button. Yeah. The, these decisions happen subconsciously and we don't know it. And I like to say it's why we buy the car because um, we love the color, but we rationalize it for the mileage on it or the kilometers. You know, there was a um, a series, I can't remember what show it was on. It may even have been that show where people can read 
micro, small micro movements of the face and how much of a story could be believed or not just by how the person was expressing it. And one of the, the characters was watching a woman share her story and they said, she's lying. And why? Why is that? Because her face isn't moving and it wasn't until later on the show they realised that she'd had Botox. So, you know, that facial m- movement there. But how much of um, impact, that trust that we're building as shall I believe this person or not mm-hmm. is built on, on that. I'd love you to share a little bit more because we've got Kath M- Mazella here asking some questions. She's got a very confronting story. What happens if you do have a confronting story, but it's a story that um, you want to share because you want to help others avoid the situation? Um, yet to share that story could be confronting to too many. And and whether she says it, I think um, she's got a book, she's got a story written, however reluctant to finalise it. Do you have some some thoughts on on what we should do if we're in that situation? Um, I would want to just make sure I understand what we mean by confronting, meaning that it's difficult or emotional. Yeah, or, she yeah. had. Um, I'll, I'll share that because I've heard Kath's as well, and we'd never know. There may be other women who are going yeah. through this as well. Yeah. She had a, a, a health issue, significant okay. health issue. She had um, her her clitoris, vulva, and groin lymph glands. So very personal for a woman, you know, right. her, her that that removed due to cancer in the hope of saving women's lives. She has seen women simply dying due to lack of community education she's got awards she's been very much involved in campaigns yet to to talk about that you know is very confronting but she has a story and and a message that could save the lives of many many women so the place I love to start especially when it feels very sensitive and very personal is thinking about who is it that you're speaking to You always want to think of the audience that you want to be delivering a message to, even if you don't have a set date and time where you're giving it. In this case, she could be thinking about, you know, who are those people that she's trying to reach and what does she know about them and what um, does she want them to know think, feel, or do after hearing this. So no is right. New knowledge about this and awareness of how to take screenings um, seriously. And maybe the the do is the action to go forward and do this. And the feeling is probably to check in on fellow friends and make sure that we're all creating support for each other. So the first step is thinking about what do I want them to know, think, feel, or do differently after I share the story. The second is what is their mindset today? And the third is what might be an obstacle in shifting it. So you can do this when you're planning a story without the specific audience, or you could do this 10 minutes before you speak to an audience. But what you're trying to do is get really clear on who is that majority that you're speaking to, because it'll help you also see who am I okay disappointing because the message isn't for them. So that's the first place to start, because then it helps you really think about what you're trying to do and who you're trying to do that for, which you then can bring into the story as you're shaping it to make sure that you are getting to those desired outcomes that you want. And it just gives you this permission to ignore some of those other pieces because it almost feels like, um, like in this case, like there's a very substantial purpose on why you're doing it. And this helps you focus on that. 
Yeah. And that's so beautiful, Karen. And I think, um, Kath, I hope that was helpful for you. If you're still there, you know, please feel free to comment. And this is just the start of the conversation. Uh, and I'm sure there are many others who are thinking the very same thing, Karen, isn't it? Yet, um, thankfully, um, through your boldness, Kath, and your courageousness, you're, you're sharing this and asking this question. Around the hesitancy to publish it uh, or have it um, finalised, I guess there could be so many different aspects aspects of that, which we were speaking about earlier, Karen, wasn't it? It's, um, it depends what it is for you. I remember doing a, um, a presentation around um, procrastination. For, this is many, many years ago for a group of romantic authors. And what was it about procrastination for some that wouldn't finish their manuscript? And when we dove deep into the mindset about why they didn't finish and have it sent to the editor was, what if I publish it or, or what if I send it to my editor and the editor comes back and says, this is no good because it's so personal. Mm. Um, any feedback like that, even though we know that, you know, no one can challenge us on our story. It's our story. And it, it is a reflection on their character. Of course, in the aspect of the book, it's a little bit different, but mm. it's personal, isn't it? Share a little bit more about that because some people may be hesitant because of that feedback that they get, which I guess get to, goes back to what you were saying earlier, but speak about it again. Many of us are struggling with that. Yeah. Well, first on the book, if you do have a book that's sitting in a drawer and you are fearful to send it in, you will never know. And that's also probably more scary than hearing some feedback and making choices about what you want to do. Um, it is very personal to share stories. Even if you're not sharing a story about yourself, there's, there's a neurological response, especially if you're in person or even if you're doing this in writing, your cortisol gets elevated in your body because this feels a little dangerous. It's something that is new and different and your brain says, we better focus because this feels uncomfortable. So first recognize that what you're feeling is true and that is not a weakness. That is just all a part of focus and awareness and, and recognizing that is so helpful. Um, I do believe in thinking about when you think about your audience and what you're trying to do, that gives you clarity on who it's for. When you think about who is not in your audience and who you're okay disappointing, that gives you a little bit of freedom. Um, sometimes we're posting stuff on social media. You have to think about who you are okay disappointing before you put anything on social media because there's many people willing to offer opinions that are mostly not helpful and not of your audience in there. Um, but I also think that you are going to tell stories that don't land the way you expect or don't quite have the impact that you expect. And that's okay. That's how you get to the ones that do. I still will tell stories and I'm like, oh, I saw that going so differently. And I learn and I move on and I take things and I incorporate it. And I love to think of comedians in a set a comedian is not going to tell every single joke that just is the most funny joke ever. They're going to have a couple that you're like, eh, but you don't think any less of them and they just move on. Like not everything is going to work. And so some of this is embracing an experimental mindset of what is getting traction and what can work. It can sometimes feel scary to do the full piece. If you're publishing something that can feel scary. So test in smaller pieces test pieces here and there, talking to people, seeing what's there. Um, I find there's often a point where you believe in what you want to say so much that you've worked the process that you can shut some of those other pieces out and move forward. Yeah. It's still uncomfortable. 
that probably won't go away. Don't expect to, to feel like today is the day. I feel amazing. Everything is going to be amazing. Like that day probably won't come. So do it afraid. Yeah, I love that. And what you shared there, I think, is so important for us to recognize. The storytellers, and I'm sure when, if we were to ask a number of people who are listening and watching now, what are some of the the amazing storytellers that just, you know, come to mind? Those individuals who we would, you know, recommend as being incredible storytellers, a 15-minute story or an hour story, whatever it is, they have rehearsed it and, you know, perfected it, if I can use that term, over and over again. Even comedians, they will, you know, and it's not just what you leave in, it's what you take out and then how you express that. So you might have a fantastic story, yet how you you just need to, to work on the delivery, if you will. So there's many aspects that all come together, doesn't it, when it comes to storytelling, telling of your story. This is why I called the book The Perfect Story, because don't wait for the perfect story. You're going to take your story and you are going to make it perfect. And sometimes you're going to pick up that story and you're trying to figure out what you want to say because you don't quite have it where you want it. And other times that will be so clear and you're trying to think about how do I make sure it really lands what I want for my audience. And other times it's going to be, what do I think about where I put in pause? What do I do to really, if I'm telling this verbally, what do I do to really draw the audience in? And if I'm doing that in writing, how do I get still the same cadence and pause and all of that? There's endless things that you can play with. It's just get started and start experimenting. The thing about it is we want to think our way into this and you can't. It's the motive, it's the behavior that creates the motivation, not the thinking. And once you start to do it and you see the response from people, and we've all done this, where we share stories with someone and you feel that connection. And then you just think like, oh, I'm so glad I shared that. You want to do this because you're going to get that feeling and you're going to want to do it more and more. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um I, I just want to touch on before we move to the to the last point about the most important story is the one that we tell ourselves. I'm talking about emotions and at work that they're at the heart of decision making. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that because um, I know you talked about the the um, neuroscientist and so forth, but just finishing off that piece, if someone is a little bit hesitant because, you know, they're in an an environment or they've been told you need to shut those emotions down. What would be, you know, a lasting insight that or or one last insight that you want to share here, Karen? I love to show people and not tell them. So I will often put up like one of those Rorschach ink blots where you put it up and, and people try to guess what they see. So if I put that up in a room of 10 people, each person would see something different in it. And the reason is because our brain is going to all of those files to see what our own individual experiences are to make predictions for what it is and understanding. And because all of our experiences are different, we're each going to see different things in it. So we'll do that. And then I will take a very simple bar chart of data and I'll put this up. And um, in this particular case, I've used a chart about university students that were supposed to complete an assignment by the end of the term. And that with one month left, you had, I think, maybe 30 people that had completed it and you had 300 that had not at all. And so I will put up the chart and there's a few other things on there, but I will then ask, why do you think they haven't completed it? And most people immediately say procrastination. 
But when you start to dig a little bit, what you recognize is there were actually many different reasons why it hadn't been completed from people working multiple jobs while they were there. People were being selective about when they were doing it. And so I start to show them with something that looks so obvious that this is clearly what it means. Why are we having this debate? That their assumptions are wrong, that there are possibly other things there. And that if we don't take people through the story of the data, we're each going to be having different assumptions about it. And then when we're trying to make a decision, we're not even communicating about the same thing. So using a very simple example starts to show people there is such a big difference in what we are processing and understanding and how we're using that to make decisions. And then when we start to break down why they didn't do the assignment, when you get to the people that say, oh, well, they were procrastinating, it's very easy to connect that to an emotion. Well, why do you think they were procrastinating? Well, because when I was at university, I did these things. And so it's very easy to start to show without it being someone crying or laughing uncontrollably, it's very easy to start to show how all of our experiences influence what we're doing and that makes an impact on things. And so take the most simple piece of data and you can show the range of understanding around it when you don't guide people through it. And when you do you take people to a different starting place for a discussion. Yeah, amazing. And we often hear um, people, well, it, it depends on pe- people's buying um, system or, or motives, but a lot of people buy on emotion, isn't it? I know I do. I love a bag. I think it'll look good on me. I want the bag. You know? Well, and you might not even realize you're buying on emotion because maybe you researched five different bags and you have factored out how many years you're going to have this and how it can carry all of these things. And by having this bag, you get, and in your head, you're like, no, no, this is a very logical decision. And it's on sale. You know? Exactly. <laughs> but you are not aware of what's happening subconsciously before it comes to the point where you even become aware of it. And it's not just for purchases. It's for the way we move through the world. It's for different things in work and in life. Yeah. And, and that just goes to why I shared that because often um, product um, sellers, if you will, their storytelling is so good. You see yourself in the story of the woman who's carrying the bag or whatever it is, you know. Um, well, and but- so often with, with sales in particular, we aren't, we aren't buying a bag. We're buying how it makes us feel. We're buying how it allows for us to be organized, right? We're buying an aspiration or maybe our friend had one and we always wanted it. And it's like, uh, we're buying a reward for ourselves or an insert many different things. You know, people are buying because there's something that they're connecting with that they feel a part of and, and that they want, or they're buying because there's a problem that they have a pain point that just keeps coming up and they need a solution because maybe the other bag has a hole and their keys keep dropping out of it. Or they're buying because of an aspiration of this bag makes me feel like I'm put together and I have my life in order and I want that. I'm not just buying bags. And that translates to so many things of you're not typically buying the product or service. You're buying what the product or service allows for you to be, do, or have. And so the story lets you see yourself in that. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. All right, Karen, the most important story you tell is the one you tell yourself. What do you mean by this? 
we're getting on, we're, we're like waiting around this one um, with all the different things we've talked about because storytelling is vulnerable. It can feel very intimidating to share a story in writing, to share a very personal story or a sensitive story. And the way you talk to yourself really matters. You are here to communicate in a dynamic way. And the more you can be kind to yourself and remind yourself that people want to hear what you have to say, the easier all of this is. If you let that inner dialogue go to, oh, I don't know if anyone's going to like this story. I don't know if I have anything good to say. Then that comes through in your story. But if you channel the excitement of a child so excited to show you something, like think of the child that wants to show you their room. There is no filter. It is all excitement. Then that is what you want to lean into in channel because that's what people respond to. So don't tell yourself you can't, you shouldn't, I, you, you don't have like any of those negative words put aside. Tell yourself that you're here to communicate in a dynamic way and we want to hear your stories. Absolutely. Karen, how can people get in contact with you and reach out to you? What's the best way? My website is the easiest, and that is my name, K-A-R-E-N-E-B-E-R.com. On there, you can find more about The Perfect Story, links to order it. I also have a brain food blog that has a whole bunch of different story-based articles and tips in there that um, may be worth poking around. Fantastic. Look, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show, Karen. I'm sure you are also on LinkedIn. Um, so, um, all of that's on my website. You can yeah, connect through. Yeah, so would please, love to connect with people. Um, Karen over on LinkedIn. But I just wanted to circle back, Karen. You may want to go over to LinkedIn because Kath left some um, comments there thanking you for your feedback and so forth. And if you've listened, because I like, do like to incorporate, um, if it's relevant, you know, the people who are around listening to the show. And if you want to connect with Kath and you're a listener, um, go over to LinkedIn. She is there if you want to find out a little bit more, if you resonate with her story too, because, um, yeah, as you said, Karen, so beautifully, we all have a story to share. And when we share it in the way that resonates and connects with others, we can be the hope. This, our story can also bring hope and possibility um, for others as well. So thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's Anne-Marie. Before I go, are you a coach or a consultant who feels like the world's best kept secret? Your experience is vast, yet secretly you're frustrated because despite all of your hard work, you're just not getting the visibility, the recognition or new clients you'd hope for and you don't know why. I've created a free resource that'll help you build visibility, generate leads and enroll dream clients with ease because you're seen as a trusted authority, even in a crowded marketplace. And you've Position yourself as the choice versus just a choice for your dream client. To get started, go to annemariecross.com forward slash gift. That's annemariecross.com forward slash gift. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.